Welcome back to another episode of Money for Nothing, the podcast about music and capitalism. I'm Saxon Baird, and I'm with Sam Backer, as always. Before we start the show, I just want to go ahead and implore you to go and rate and review us if you can get the chance. It helps us continue to spread the good gospel that we preach here at Money for Nothing. Today's episode, we'll be talking about TikTok and about how apparently it's over, according to Sam, or something he was telling me before the show. You want to go ahead and explain what exactly you were you were saying? So I got a, a theory. It's the new Dylan theory, right? As soon as something is the future, it's over. It's and it like kind of it's kind of it's you have to be just above the event horizon. So TikTok is on its way to being over because it's the future. Um, no, but but like in a non-joking way. I mean, when I first went on TikTok, it was exclusively seventeen-year-old cosplayers, which was biz- making like bizarre clown remixes of like insane, uh, like yeah, like insane clown posse cosplay anime wildness and i was just like whoa what is this and then i went back on about six months ago and i'm like oh the parents found it which means that it is on its way to being over probably right apologies to all your little brothers and sisters but uh no later in the show you'll be hearing a great interview with writer from pitchfork and knower of all things tiktok kat zhang she'll be discussing all the ins and outs of tiktok for us but first sam and i are just going to dive into a little discussion about tiktok ourselves sam why don't you go ahead and start by just uh, telling us why you wanted to talk about tiktok why this is important and what it has to do with music the thing about tiktok is that i would argue that it's maybe the first algorithm first social media form that i know of so i mean a lot of social media forms have now algorithmically served content right facebook does Twitter does, YouTube sure does, famously does, but those were all, and and this is cribbing from some great uh, business reporting I've read, um, those were all algorithms that were kind of pasted onto basic functionality of the websites afterwards, and TikTok is built out of an algorithm, which means that that the, the functioning of the algorithm is integrated more centrally in a lot of ways, I think, to its basic organization and functionality than it is in many other websites, right? So, Instead of like trying to find friends or like build out a network or you know find stuff you like, it just you turn on the app for anyone who hasn't seen it and immediately just starts throwing you stuff. These 15 second videos. And so really quickly, based on your reaction, whether you like scroll past them or watch them, um, it starts organizing around your preferences and then gives you increasingly um, fine-tuned feeding to those preferences. And it works to the extent that, unlike almost anything else I've seen, instead of kind of being subtle about the algorithmicness of it, right, where Facebook is like, we're just going to show you the things that make you feel good or, like, keep you on the site, which can also mean make you feel enraged. Um, TikTok is, like, very open about it, so it allows you to sort of be like... I like, I want to see some more comedy videos, so anytime a comedy video comes on, I'm going to like it. And then for the next really quickly for the next couple days my tiktok feed is going to be filled with comedy videos until i get bored of that and i can just train the algorithm to do something else and it's re it's malleability is actually effortless and it reacts quickly it reacts easily um and so it allows you to have this this very uh integrated experience with part of that is 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 
a major aspect of it is soundtracking your videos with music. And it's not necessarily the music that you would expect, like the, the number one hits. I mean, there is a lot of that. But sometimes it's like really obscure music or music that's even like kind of like old, quote unquote, it's like, you know, eight or nine years old from some obscure pop punk band or something. So, I mean, that's one of the things that's really interesting about it, right? Is because in, in some ways, I think that what TikTok does is it it memifies music, right? In a, in a way that hadn't happened yet, right? Um, and, and we talk about a little bit about this in the interview, but... That I would say that the meme has been kind of the basic language of the internet for ten or fifteen years, but it, audio and there clearly have been audio memes like the Harlem Shake is an example, or that uh, Gangnam Style. Yeah, yeah, Gangnam Style, right? But it hasn't been the ease of the the, the ease of memeing has not been there before, and I, I really think that turning a social uh, media platform built around memeing audio does begin to change like what audio does on the internet. In some ways, it takes like what we've talked about previously, the way that uh, Spotify algorithms can really pull things like a mood playlist, right? Uh, Spotify building a mood playlist can really pull from all different kinds of tracks that don't necessarily fit together and kind of create this like weird, like, almost like a postmodern vision of like how this music functions. And TikTok is like that on three Red Bulls and some Adderall. And so what you get is this kind of like fracturing of what music means and how it's normally used, I feel like. All of a sudden, songs are pointing to specific kinds of visuals and they've got a complicated, like almost like semiotic relationship to it, right? Like this song means this kind of dance move or it means this kind of emotion. Or you can make a new video on that song where it means the opposite of that. And it kind of layered on layered on layered and layered and layered. And what that means is that the songs become these incredibly flexible, open-ended pieces of content kind of floating out in this endless sea of interchangeable reconstruction. And that means that almost any song can kind of go in there in a really interesting way. Like if you look at the Spotify has like a viral new and notable playlist and it'll be like, new rap song, new rap song, like Japanese new wave classic. And that's because of TikTok, that somehow someone decided that this little 15 second section of this Japanese new wave classic meant this dance or meant this joke or meant this emotion. And then someone else has made a different joke based on a reinterpretation of that. And in a way they're kind of grooving to the Japanese new wave song, but in a way that's almost nothing to do with it. That new wave song is just a sign that can be endlessly recombined. And in some ways the Japanese song works better on TikTok because when a pop star like Ariana Grande puts out a song, it usually comes with like a video and with this whole advertising campaign behind it. And it's this very cultivated aesthetic in which they're like being pushed out upon us. And then we kind of like take on and like maybe like recreate. But when you use a more like obscure song for your interest for your TikTok video, you can kind of imprint the meaning, you know, your own interpretation, your own creativeness, you know, upon that song itself, and kind of like you said, memeify it. But if you're taking something that doesn't have any sort of real cultural associations, at least like you know, not here, then you can really that's really malleable. But if you take something that's kind of already been fed to us by this whole like you know publicity aesthetic art direction 
that's like behind a star like Ariana Grande, it's maybe less easy to sort of bend and curve to your will. Yeah, totally. And I mean, I, th- I think it's it's important to note that like um, there's a bunch of different forces at play in the TikTok ecosystem, such as it is. So you do have kind of top down challenges where it's you know it's the toozy slide dance that an endless number of people are going to do, or you have kind of this like rising from the bottom. Uh, the get up, which had a whole elaborate dance. A lot of the times these are from dance challenges. I mean, most famously, um, uh, Old Town Road by Lil Nas X. Um, and these are kind of from below. But there's also this interesting thing where you get songs that major artists release that are increasingly almost like in between, right? Like WAP was a big one where it was like, that to me was one of the most interesting examples of like, a major label post TikTok song that I'd seen where like I heard it and I was like, Oh, this is going to play on TikTok. This is going to be perfect for TikTok." And in some ways, the way the the structure of the song is constructed is like, has a lot of like nice pre-made 15 second pieces. And, And I do wonder like if you went back to who picked up WAP and how, like you could probably do a media archaeology. It would be fascinating to do actually of like, how did a song like WAP get segmented into specific areas for TikTok dances? And like, who did that jump off first? And how did they all interact to develop like clear sections that then became like, this is the WAP dance for this 15 seconds of WAP. Well, that brings up another interesting point though, that we talk more about in the uh, interview you'll be hearing with Kat Zhang about, there's a real lack and maybe we should talk about this more a real lack of systems in place to like really earn any kind of royalties or any money as an artist whose music is being used on TikTok and in fact as as you'll as you'll hear in the interview it's grim it, it's, it's grim it's even worse than than yeah, Spotify yeah, <laughs> yeah. But but I mean just but just like backing up like like can we talk maybe we should discuss a little bit about it or you maybe you can comment a little bit about it being sort of this promotional to, tool and then like the fact that major artists like Meg The Stallion and Cardi B are and whatever the art direction promotional teams behind them are really trying to craft songs in which are TikTok ready yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so I mean one of the things that seems like about TikTok that's really powerful is the interaction um there's a good episode of popcast about tiktok where uh new york times popcast where they're talking about the fact that um in some ways that there had been an untapped potential of how people wanted to interact with pop music that they wanted to be a part of the songs and express their creativity through the songs and that tiktok gave the people an easy avenue to do so and i think that's really right and i think it's interesting in the kind of um like the long history of pop music. And this is kind of a theory that I've, I've played with for, in a lot of different ways because in, 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 there's a lot of different dynamics about popular music culture that it starts out fairly participatory. Then as technological developments proceed over the 19th and 20th centuries, you move from like a pop song is a bunch of people sitting around a piano with a piece of sheet music playing that sheet music, but necessarily enacting like through their participation with 
that their necessary participation in order to make the music come alive to mechanical pianos where you didn't need to play the piano but you still needed to sing in order to make it a song to records to this increasing you know uh, the, the the classic 20th century music industry where basically it's one directional right like you buy a rolling stones record and like you can inter you can integrate that rolling stones record into your life in a variety of ways and that gives that record meaning but you don't actually the accretion of meaning-making activity happens in your life and in the social interactions surrounding the music, but doesn't actually connect to the record itself, right? Like the music is more or less unchanged. And as you get this kind of, you know, web 2.0, web 3.0 vision, which TikTok is kind of, I think, like an exemplar of, it's the actual, the mass fan base interacts with the music and transforms it. And I think that's that's really new and really interesting. And, and I think it also transforms it both through watching it in these 15-second sections, both through its kind of, um, that kind of mummification where like where the music is coming from and who it's by and how it relates to an artist is more up in the air. But also I think the dancing is really important, right? The idea that a way to interact with music is through like your physical, like the physicality of learning to d- do these really elaborate dances to these songs like, if you learn a dance to a song, you're going to like that song more. You're going to have a relationship to that song. It's sort of like creating a hundred thousand... Or you're like, going to hate it. Or you're going to hate it. But you know what I mean? Like, um, you're going to create like a hundred thousand I will say that I, I did te- that I did do the Macarena like less than a month ago in, in a group situation that was socially distanced. Well, Anyways, I, no, no, but that's a perfect... You know, joking aside, that's a perfect right. example what percentage of the Macarena's total plays post 19, what, 1998, 1999, whenever that song came from, um, what percentage of the total plays of the Macarena are based on the fact that everyone knows the Macarena dance? A hundred percent. Yeah, no, or no, definitely. 95% of them. And so in a weird way, like it does create, you know, how is this a promotional activity for artists is one of the ways is it creates an, a small army of people who have invested some of their own creativity and skill in interacting with your songs. And that's really interesting. It's That's a cultural difference that I don't really know like where that means or where that goes. It's not... But then also, but also you know, the, we also have to mention that, and it is interesting, as you say, uh, but the dark side of that is then that gets appropriated and commodified or put into some sort of AI system or some sort of info that they're farming about you but then also on the music side it's interesting that a musician like cardi b or or make it make the stallion would want to you know or whatever the team is behind him would want to do something that could be picked up on tiktok because of the fact that artists don't actually make money off their music being used on tiktok correct they make a little bit right so for a long time there was no payouts of tiktok it was in that weird legal gray zone more recently the major labels have come to an agreement with tiktok an agreement that they are not doing a long-term lock-in as far as i know they're doing because things are changing so fast and and that the um the stratospheric rise of tiktok's really hard to overstate like how quickly this app has gotten so popular i think it has two or maybe even three times the number of users of Twitter um, in about 
a year. Um, so really, this is a huge success, and the major labels are not locking themselves in long term. They're doing like deals that have to be renewed fairly frequently to like organize the payouts. And so basically, what they've agreed on is the basic dynamic of TikTok is how many new videos are made, and not how many streams any given song gets. So if you make a WAP video, Saxon, that 15 million people see. Megan Thee Stallion and Cardi B get one play or one video creation. It's that they are making that a hundred thousand videos are made. They get a payout iteration of a hundred thousand times. And again, this payout iteration is almost nothing. It makes Spotify look good. So we're talking about really minimal amounts of money here. Right, and for and for Cardi B and Megan Stallion, that's not a big deal because people will, you know, automatically do what they do. You know, go to the Spotify, buy it on Apple Music, whatever. But for an artist, and I would say Kat Zang has actually illustrated this in a lot of her articles that she's written for Pitchfork that I once again encourage listeners to go read if they are interested in this topic. What she has illustrated is that for like other artists who are smaller and already are making pennies on the dollar, F that, fractions of pennies on the dollar for their music, when their music gets used, they like they really aren't making any money. And if people want to hear their music more, then they go to Spotify. And we already have discussed, and we will continue to discuss, how little money is made on Spotify. Yeah, and so if you want to make money, if you blow up on TikTok, the best thing to do is you know try to leverage that to sign with a major label, which just kind of or like brand creates, you know, deals or whatever. Tentacle. Yeah, yeah. That this is not a recommoditization of music, or you know. Um, a revaluation of music in, in any substantive way, even though, and then I think this is key to point out, even though this massively valuable, incredibly popular app is extremely dependent on musical content to soundtrack a huge proportion of its videos, that this app does not function in any real way without music its value is extremely based on music and yet it's able to pay out very very little to musicians in mass and again part of that's because the major labels it works for them because they have leverage over this new tech site they're able to kind of control the distribution of their artists and um i am not a betting man but if I had to hazard a guess, if you looked at the percentage of major label artists on TikTok prior to, like what percentage of the total TikTok streams major label artists had prior to those most recent round of deals and after them, I would guess that the major label artists have more of the total TikTok streams afterward and again this goes back to the algorithmic nature why of would you think that <laughs> it's going to goes back to the algorithmic nature of it right that it's very easy it's totally opaque how videos are being served to you and almost unlike twitter where like you can follow i mean you can follow people on tiktok but the fundamental method of interacting with the app is the for you page which is totally served to you by this algorithm and how easy is it to just put a little thumb on the scale and then like Warner Bros, uh, they're getting more play, more traction somehow. And there's even some industry reporting about, you know, creators who are not musicians, um, but who make videos often with musical backgrounds um, 
and often have kind of complicated semi-managerial relationships with TikTok. TikTok kind of cultivates its gardens of creators. Um, they can, there's some, you know, uh, no name cited reporting where a creator will say like, how come my last video didn't do well? And then reach out to someone on the TikTok creative team. And then the video has 800,000 more plays. But once again, I think that, that you know, the, the big picture here is, and I, and something as a cynic that I, I always mention and I always want to bring up is that the bottom line of these corporations is to either seem valuable or to make money. They're not benevolent. And so there's no reason why we should think that, that this is going to change or make anything, anything better. And it's kind of dark to me that the amount of creativity and effort that gets put into these videos and then sometimes using other people's music and for no money and just for promotional, <laughs> just for promotional value. It's, it's kind of dark. And I can't help but also think about how, in a, in a, you know, in, you know, maybe a Marxist sense, how like, this is like free labor. I mean, the people that are on TikTok are making it what it is. And I also, that leads me to wonder and think about, and I obviously don't have an answer for this because it's, it's quite lengthy, but, but what is someone who's a teenager going on or you know whoever going on and and putting on these skits and trying to get followers and trying to get views you know what is that action like replacing in their own life or what are they not getting in their own life or like why why is it you know why is that so important to reach an audience of viewers like me who don't they don't know and like how did why does that create value in what they're doing and then for them none of them to even kind of make any kind of monetary like and for them to not earn anything in regards, to, in regards to doing that on top of it, I don't know, it seems a little bit dark. As much as it might actually be fun and, and it, it to engage with, with TikTok, and I agree, it, it is and oftentimes, and, and I, I kind of enjoy how it's it's not slick and it, how it just shows, like, you know, on a very positive sense, the mass amount of creativity that there, that is out there for people. But once again, it's, it's, it's for the benefit of a corporation. I feel like there's kind of two, like, off the top of the head, like two ways to think about that question. One is sort of like the idea of almost like the, the colonization of everyday life, right? The idea that these companies, in some ways that that nothing that new is happening here, that teenagers have always been making up dances, but that now it is being filtered and like profit is being extracted by this company because what would normally be a closed circuit within a community uh, now is moving through this app. But also, I wonder, like, it is, there is something new there, right? That it's pointing outwards in an interesting, you know, it's pointing outwards that it's connecting with the rest of the world. And that's part of this, like, very real, like, broader digital shift that's shaping music, that's shaping, you know, that, that with the transmissibility of cultural experiences. And that is kind of real. And I don't know if it's fair to fully reduce that to, like the exploitation through these companies, you know, that. No, and, and the, the, yeah, so let me, let me clarify. Like, I think that that, that reflects something that exists in, you know, a lot of people is that they want to reach out. They want to connect with people like unlike them or that are like them, but in different locations or like learn about new stuff or whatever it may be. It's not just a, like strictly like a seek for fame. I don't think so. But, you know, when we live in a society that isn't giving us like sort of basic services, Maybe like that seek for fame is like in some way can fulfill what we lack. 
acknowledgement, feeling feeling like a zero, feeling like my existence has no value, and that being reflected in the fact that like I have to work at like a shitty like wait low low level wage job, and that like I don't have any like social services or any kind of like financial or like medical medical security, then like obviously you know how to, so then what do I do and what do I turn to to feel like I have value or me as an individual has any worth? It's kind of like that old that sort of old paradox where you know people who live it who people who don't have a lot of money or like live in like poor areas will go and buy like really flashy jewelry and you know the, the conservative response is like well you know if they weren't spending all their money on jewelry or whatever but that jewelry in some ways that they wear and expensive and shiny and flashy in some way like gives them a sense of value where nowhere else in the world their job their community their fucking government like makes them feel that way so i don't know if they, i kind of wonder some somehow if like maybe in some ways it's neither here nor there. Like in some ways it maybe it is a real expression of people wanting to sort of whatever reach out to show off their creativity and don't really have any other means to do so. And, and, but in another way, it kind of gives them value or makes them feel like they have value. And then when there's nowhere else to sort of like get that value or that's that feeling of that, 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 you know, they're talented or creative as well. And then for like a big company to then commodify that and like put it through the capitals meat grinder and be like, thank you all your hard work and all your hard labor and all your creativity and everything that you do that, you know, gets a racks up a hundred, you know, a hundred million views or however much. Thanks for that. Here's a, here's a nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Not and, even and, a- and I think that it, it is true that it kind of points towards a broader question that we've kind of considering with, with these tech companies in a lot of ways, which is that, at one level, like there is some value produced by something like TikTok, right? Like it makes it makes the music work differently. It gives a suite of tools for creativity. But at another level, most of the value or a lot of the value comes from the creativity of its users. The same way that a lot of the value in a lot of these apps comes from the massive donation of time and creativity, certainly the social media apps, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, the donation of time and creativity uh, on Twitter that people spend on Twitter at one level is a service and another level they're doing a job. <laughs> Some people who are extremely online are like doing a job by being on Twitter. Um, and it's really interesting to figure out like where the value lies in like if you could ever have a more equitable system where the people who are powering these apps get part of the value that they are creating back any i mean that's the, the that's the ideal but back and yeah but i mean I, that's the that's the ideal but i think that you know i think this is the third the third show in a row that we've mentioned her but as as i think someone like liz pelly who's written extensively about spotify would argue is is kind of in line with what i'm saying is that you can't expect these corporations and these, you know, big startups to be benevolent and offer that. It's like you're trying to make them more moral. <laughs> I push back because I think the way that people are thinking about this accepts the basic logic of the apps, which are sort of a, it's like a democratization of, of like almost like a movie star culture, right? Like, it's this idea of like the individual and the individual as the best way and the primary way to organize society and experience society. And it says like you too, anyone, right, can be the next star. And that it focuses on 
individuals. And that's how the app functions, right? Everyone has their own account. They interact as individuals. And so a lot of times I think that attempts to ameliorate this kind of um, the extractive processes, like the way that these companies extract the value from these apps, they attempt to follow that individualistic logic that they're like, well, the way to make Spotify work better is to have Spotify pay out more per stream. The way to make TikTok work better is to have everyone who individually engages with TikTok, you know, get a micro payment or something. But I, I feel like the thing is that that misses is that sure there's some like very big stars in all these platforms, um, but especially in social media platforms, the the value is not, I don't think, in like a specific handful of big stars. The value is in the totality, right? It's in the totality of social relationships that flow through this app. It's not in the one specific piece of music that's a hit. It's not in WAP. It's in every single piece of music. And I think that the way to get at the value, and, and that is how the stock market values these companies, it values them as like more or less holistically. It gives them evaluation not on their individual pieces, but on their overall expectation of potential profits and influence in the world. And I feel like that's how you have to get the value back. It's not by accepting the individualistic logic of these apps. It's by trying to think like sectorally and trying to think big picture. And that's also, I would argue, far more politically feasible. It's like everyone in America or everyone in the world you know, but let's just take America, for example, everyone in America or all the musicians in America um, create a ton of value on TikTok. And then TikTok as a company makes money based on this group of musicians. It's possible to tax TikTok as a whole and then throw that money back to musicians as a whole. There are ways to do that that seem like they're going to be far more equitable and far more politically feasible and far more able to get at where the actual value of these companies are because it's not in how much profit they're making. It's in the stock market. It's their potential profits. And that's certainly how their executives are getting paid out, right? And I feel like that's how you could get at some of the value. And I again, I think it's Look, they're trying to break up Facebook. It's politically feasible in a way I don't see any other companies being. And it doesn't require the companies to to act against themselves. We're not trying to turn a dog into a zebra here. We're trying to say, like, TikTok, you aren't going to start all of a sudden, like you said, being like like Santa Claus, right? They're not going to all of a sudden be like, oh, boys and girls, here's your money. But... You could have it still run, this extractive industry, try to make as much money as you want, and then just, like, take a chunk back off the top. I don't know. That's my take. I don't, I don't, I don't know. That's not, that sounds like you're trying to put a hand in, in – that sounds like regulation. It sounds like you're trying to put a hand into the, the ethereal existence of the, uh, the free market and how these grand individual corporations work in their mysterious and magical ways. How dare you pull back the curtain? So, I mean – the, the one thing is, and I feel like there's two ways to like go take that next step, right? One is to say like, well, like you need to regulate the free market here because otherwise there's not going to be any musicians, right? If and, it, and look, it's 2020. David Crosby is selling his masters because he can't afford enough. You know, can't afford his, the, his mortgage on his house through streaming. Though like also 
I don't know what kind of house David Crosby has, and I don't know what the mortgage situation is. So, oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we get the point. <laughs> yeah, you know, there. But really, like, there's a whole class of musicians, like, who are not superstars, but who made you know money, potential to make a living being a musician. Who this year and this year is kind of the the acceler- the great accelerator of trends, right? Where a lot of people were able to scrape by on touring. Touring's gone, and, and it's really clear how the streaming economy is not working for musicians. And so there, I do feel like there's potentially a space. Um, and, you know, like TikTok is an example of this. TikTok is like uh, the derivative of a derivative to get paid, right? You have to transfer your TikTok fame to Spotify and then rely on the Spotify payouts. <sighs> Man, you're gonna be winning your for your bag for a long time. Better go. But, <laughs> better but, hold on to that day job. <laughs> no, exactly. But but um, I hope that parents got some generational wealth coming in the form of a monthly allowance. <laughs> right. No, exactly. So like, there is an argument that if there's not regulation soon, if something doesn't change, there's not gonna be musicians, and then it's just gonna be Japanese new wave recordings, and like that's not gonna work out super well probably in the long run. And that actually we're about to hit a push comes to shove moment where if you don't like tend the gardens that allow music to come up, there won't be the music that these companies exploit and that they've been kind of grazing on the commons, so to speak, right? That they've been, that society has been producing musicians and they've just been extracting that value. And if they don't put something back into it, there just won't be any musicians. That's like one take, but I feel like the grimmer take maybe (laughs) is... It's not AI, but it's uh, like, you know, machine learning augmented music making, which people are looking, you know, these fancy complex programs that like, you know, produce music in the style of the Beatles, then you don't need to pay the Beatles. I actually think that's uh, kind of like a bait and switch. I think it's GarageBand. I think it's the idea that anyone with a Mac and enough of these presets that take out much of the skilled work of music making that automate away what in the seventies to make a record sound halfway decent, unless like you're recording really low fi like you'd have to pay people to do all this stuff. The fact that something like GarageBand or slightly higher version, you know, um, nicer versions of GarageBand can basically automate all that stuff. And there's like a version of the world and like, Anyone who ripped a low quality MP3 off LimeWire will tell you that if it's free, people will put up with like lower quality music. And there's a version where like, you know, you take a lot, there's a, there's like a constant churn. There's a lot of set talented 17 year olds who play the music until they're 23 and can't afford to do it anymore and can't afford to live on a mattress on the floor anymore. And just, there's an endless string of 17 to 22 year olds and these companies just keep on their merry way. And the long process of getting expertise, right? Where like the Beatles start in the late 50s, early 60s, I mean, I guess like early 60s to play like a bajillion clubs and get a bajillion hours. And it takes them six years and five albums to make Revolver or Rubber Soul. The point is that they had a long runway before they made anything that's particularly good. Um, but the runway with... Something like Bandcamp, uh, sorry, something like GarageBand seems like a le- uh, a shorter runway to make something. The amount of musical expertise it takes to make something that's like fine is very low, and make something pretty good is much shorter. And so that churn uh, is only going to get easier, and only get and the tools are only going to get better. So maybe you don't need musicians. Maybe it's just, you know, 
It's endless churn of TikTok hits. Made with augmented uh, artificial intelligence uh, on like server farms in Idaho that create Cardi B like beats for your TikTok video. I'm gonna go jump off a cliff now. But before I do that, you should uh, stick around for our great interview with Kat Zhang, writer for Pitchfork, knower of all things TikTok. Here comes the music and then the interview. One of the things that I find interesting and challenging about this app, and in some ways it's like, um, unlike the radio, where sure, like different formats exist, right? Like I listen to country radio, you listen to uh, rap radio, and like rarely the twain shall meet. But this is everyone has their own station, really. So like, how, is there a TikTok mainstream? Clearly, they're incredibly popular users, but... Do you have a sense of like how it segments out? Yeah. Okay. So I've, I have met friends who listen to like more experimental music now and are not really interested in mainstream stuff who are trying to join TikTok. And I always tell them that like the first one or two weeks that you're on TikTok, you will start out on mainstream TikTok or as they refer to it, like straight TikTok. Like this is where all of the like dance challenges like tasty style cooking videos like all of the really clickbaity stuff comes up and through the process of scrolling through all of those mainstream tiktok videos it'll kind of pick up on what you're more interested in and maybe you might get routed into like different channels for lack of a better term of of tiktok so i've even seen a tiktok with like a map of this where it's like you start out on straight tiktok then you go to like like gay alt TikTok. Um, and then, you know, you can head to like socialist TikTok and like whatever and stuff like that. Um, you can also search in TikTok for different hashtags and kind of try to engage with those hashtags so that to signal to the algorithm that that's what you want to look at. Um, although I have a second account to do research and I've tried to game it that way, but it's I'm still on mainstream TikTok and just haven't scrolled enough for them to like pick up on things. Um, and then like, you still have your like, so once you're like deep in TikTok, you have your maybe your like own little communities, but there's some videos that seem to kind of be pushed out to everyone or at least like a lot of people. So if I'm on TikTok and my roommate is in the same room and they're also on TikTok, what'll often happen is like, I'll see a video and then three minutes later, they'll see the same video. So there is like some kind of commonality there and some common language. Like it's not like once you, it's not like when you head over to your sector of TikTok, you like never engage with any other parts. The, the first time I really got a sense of these structures was in your uh, fantastic uh, reporting about, I'm going to butcher this dude's name. How is it? Tiags? Tiags? Uh, I think it's Tiags, but uh, we don't really know. And his producer tag is just, tits so can you just tell us a little bit about um because i thought that was a really illustrative case for 
understanding how mainstream TikTok and these various kind of alt TikToks operate and interact and the way that certain music producers are um, in some ways gaming that system or operating in that system in a way that really I thought uh, shed a lot of light on um, a whole lot of really complicated dynamics in this emerging sphere of music. So I'm wondering if just to start with, you could tell us like who Tiag's is and why they matter a little? Yeah, so just, I guess, a bit of background. So once it was kind of established that TikTok was like this, you know, engine for like music publicity or whatever, and that you could really get famous on there, then TikTok kind of started splitting into two parts. It's not, it's not like a neat split, but there's generally like straight TikTok, the kind of mainstream side where you have a lot of people in influencer mansions doing like those very monotonous stances. And then you have alt TikTok, which is just everyone else, more kind of humor, like weirder stuff. Um, and so there starts to be a lot of just like irritation and like resentment among people who don't identify as straight TikTok towards those influencers. And then you start to see more kind of splintering of different, like different sub sub communities, I guess. Um, so Tiags is a producer um, slash rapper who had, I think, first gone viral with some pretty kind of bland remixes of, say, like a 1950s jazz tune um, where he kind of just like takes the sample, he adds a very basic beat to it, and then he adds his producer tag and maybe raps some things about fame. And he would do that over and over for a variety of different songs. Um, but where he really got in trouble, I think, is when he started picking up audios, like meme audios that alt TikTok really liked using. And they started to kind of feel like he was just totally killing the joke every time by basically imposing this kind of mainstream TikTok sound onto their their own kind of jokes and language. Um, like his sound, I think, is a pretty good distillation of just the sound that you that you'd see on like mainstream TikTok, like, you know, uh 808s very dry hi-hats, you know, like lyrics that are just about fame, but don't really make sense, like all that kind of stuff. Um, and yeah, once he found out that he was basically really hated among the alt TikTok community, he then started just like trolling them and remixing more and more and more. And it just became, it kind of became emblematic to me almost of the fact that like a lot of times on TikTok, people really try to milk every meme and every kind of song out of what it's worth. You have a song go viral, then there's like a slow and reverb remix, then there's like a nightcore version, then like whatever, they get put into a mashup and it just like makes you feel totally cynical, I think, about like music on the platform sometimes. So that that was the issue with Tiags, I think. And also he didn't really clear a lot of the samples at first and it was just kind of like leeching other people. His my name too. is Margot song is way worse than the original name is Margot beat. I personally think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and 
That was weird because the girl with the reptile who made the My Name is Margot song like stole that hook from another girl who then was really upset about it and posted kind of like a shady TikTok. Um, but yeah, the whole ordeal is just like... Well, I mean, that wow. kind of gets into um, like a kind of almost like I feel like a broader set of questions about TikTok. Because I feel like, okay, so... The, the, this um the my name is Margot is this w- g- woman who's a reptile influencer I guess right she has a famous gorgeous huge uh, reptile she has a bearded dragon named Margot I'm not sure if she has other reptiles maybe but yeah she just loved to you know make videos with Margot the bearded dragon and talk about Margot's life. And then, so she makes this jokey video referencing another TikTok video in this kind of like supremely like mimetic fashion. And then it blows up. And then that gets ripped off by another person and that blows up even more. I think that, so the sequence of events is this girl named, uh, I think, Gracie, made this song that's just like, my name is Gracie, not Stacy or Lacey. That was a couple, you know, months before. Then uh, the dragon girl with uh, the owner of Margot then comes in and makes this song. Her name is Margot, not XYZ. And then Tiag's finally takes that and then adds the beats and stuff to that. Right. No, but, but I guess so. I guess what I'm trying to get at is one of the, things that's amazing about tiktok i think and and like full cards on the table i love tiktok like i don't know (laughs) another thing that's given me this much joy (laughs) online uh since like the sainted vine and literally nothing else like i love tiktok and so one of the things that i like that's it's fascinating to me about tiktok is it seems like mimetic culture right like taking images and repurposing them and making memes of them has been kind of the lingua franca of the internet for what a decade 15 years longer but like really mass social consciousness last let's say 15 years um someone at me if it's much longer or much shorter um but mu- and music <laughs> has clearly been like there have been you know the harlem shake there have been musical trend fads previously but it seems like what TikTok does at a fundamental level is take music and make it memeable in a way that I don't know if I'd ever seen before. And in part makes it memeable, I think, because it, 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 um, it ch- the kind of community discussions, it seems to me, kind of change how music works almost, that they often give music a, like a direct reference and then that reference can be played with and redirected. It makes the music like a sign. Um, and so you get these incredible chains that are happening way faster, it feels like, than music used to be borrowed and flipped and changed and taken because it's a meme now and it just like circulates. Yeah, or like even to add to that, I'd just add one more aspect to that. Um the, the meme aspect to it is being driven by the listeners or TikTokers opposed to being serviced to them that they then recreate. 
And I think that, that kind of just add like another aspect to that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think it's kind of, I mean, even though people have tried, it's, it's a little difficult to kind of impose a trend from the top down. Um, and it's sometimes difficult to anticipate what part of a song even like TikTok's user base will be interested in. So, so in this kind of memeing, I mean, you've written also about the ways in which despite this incredible diversity of sound, that there is kind of a, a a TikTok aesthetic that seems like it's starting to develop, at least in like certain fairly large, say like American rap adjacent TikTok. Yeah. Last year, um, I wrote this piece called The Anatomy of a TikTok Hit and some common features of songs going viral at the time were like really distorted kind of minimal beats, um, like a you know, homespun quality, croaked vocals, and, you know, gravitation towards like really abrasive, confident female rappers. Some of that, you know, has not, like some things have changed a little bit, but a lot of it has stayed the same. Um, yeah. It's this weird discussion, right? Like how much does a platform matter? Um and clearly, like, there's a, a lot of these, like, multi-platform artists who are, like, you know, they're on SoundCloud, clearly they're on Spotify, they're making hits on TikTok. Um, and as these, like, uh, aesthetics develop, like, in parallel and tandem, I mean, like, is there an ability to create that kind of scene within TikTok or, like, TikTok native in the way that it, it, it clearly was in SoundCloud? One thing that people say a lot about TikToks is that they're just like music videos for songs or, or, you know, like fan made music videos. And that like feels really true to me and is a part of the reason why like TikTok is so good at promoting certain types of music for like these little communities that I'm talking about. Um, a lot of it is like, at least for the glitchcore community, it's based on editing and actually making these like mini music videos with all these like little effects to um, these songs that they take off of SoundCloud. And so a lot of, like, basically the way that a lot of people find out about these songs is that the song gets incorporated into one of these really zany, rainbow, cool kind of edits and stuff. And so the editor themselves becomes, like, a figure in in that community and, like, very highly influential. Yeah. And that's... The importance of those editors is really interesting also. Um, importance of, you know, the TikTok creator in general from a music perspective. Um, so, I, I, you know, I was doing a, a little bit of research and, and what blew me blew my mind was that maybe this has changed since this article is written and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it seemed like TikTok, the musicians, the musicians creating the music for TikTok get paid out not per stream, but per video created. Yeah, I think that's true. Yeah, it's, so it's like if you if if someone makes a video to your song and that video itself has like two hundred thousand likes, like that doesn't really matter that much. What matters is that you have twenty thousand videos made to that song. I mean, it, it's crazy to me for like a lot of reasons. Um, <laughs> it's like absolutely nuts. That that's true, especially given how powerful and influential. Like, forget. I mean, let's not forget, but like not even talking about these influential like glitchcore creators where those videos in some ways uh, the song is an essential part of those videos, but the video is the essential part of those videos. So like making your own version of those seems kind of difficult, but like the really major creators 
um, who are stars in their own right, those videos rack up can rack up you know um, millions of plays. Yeah, I definitely have seen a lot of um, videos from like Charlie D'Amelio or Dixie D'Amelio where it's very clear that they're getting paid by a label or you know some other entity to promote Travis Scott's song, Michael Jackson discography, and things like that. Um, it can be like I imagine that the results are pretty mixed though because you can kind of tell when that's happening and no that's fascinating though so you think it that is better in terms of i mean that's the other thing that tiktok to have is really complicated about you know, tiktok as a space right like at one level as opposed to like it's one, designed you know, to create video with a lot of likes on it like you you get paid more from tiktok that way but um i think ultimately what people care about is not it ultimately what people care about is whether users slash listeners on tiktok actually then leave the app to go listen to the song on spotify soundcloud any other platform with like that that pays artists more or like where streams translate slightly more directly to actual money um and so when these influencers get paid to do these advertisements to just like kind of preen to like a Travis Scott song like sometimes it's not necessarily clear that that will actually then translate to more streams or stuff I mean for Travis Scott sure because it's Travis Scott but like in other instances like just because you you get people to pay attention doesn't mean that you're actually like helping the artist out that much um on like a kind of flip side like I know that there are a lot of smaller artists who have like really managed to build a base making for example like music industry explainers or like doing cover songs i'm thinking of like the dream pop duo magdalena bay who's done both of those things um and i think they can they really can boost like the amount of listens they get by by doing that kind of engagement on tiktok so although they don't necessarily have like a viral trend per se like happening for each of their songs like they they still get some of that benefit wow i mean i I have to admit like that's (laughs) when you have to look to spotify as a better paying option (laughs) like (laughs) yeah yeah i was just gonna say sam i was like wow that's it's incredibly dark (laughs) it's it's just i mean i know as we talk a lot about on this podcast you know it's actually this historical trend where you know the uh the people actually making the music are the ones that are constantly getting fucked over, but <laughs> even more so now. And, and I just, it, it's, it's, uh, it's really, really dark that you have this sort of army of apps, which people are putting forth so much effort and creativity into, to basically, uh, you know, get like pennies on the dollar. It's like trying to get like blood from a stone as I've, uh, the, the saying I've often used. <laughs> and it's also fascinating to me going back to what, the very beginning of, of this conversation just the amount of uh, possessiveness and and protection that these TikTokers have about what they create, because it does seem like also like the TikTok is sort of you just kind of riff off of somebody else, off of somebody else, off of somebody else, and yet in response to Tiogs, Tits, whatever, however you say his name, like people are being like really, really protective of of, of their work, and yet they're probably not getting paid for it. And meanwhile, you know, TikTok is. Uh, you know, whatever, whatever, uh, whatever um, 
<laughs> money making schemes or, or AI development they're getting out of these people. It just it just seems really it seems like this is like a, there's actually this really sort of dark side to all of this. Yeah, it is dark. I mean, for the people who are like really upset with Tiags for using their audio, I think that division of TikTok in general is like not that interested in like the commercial aspect. Like they're there to have fun, and so when someone is trying to profit off of that or like create a profit incentive then it really rubs them the wrong way and like as just a viewer of tiktoks like there's nothing more annoying than watching a video that you know is like part of a branding exercise like sure the first fleetwood mac um the cranberry man (laughs) yeah the first like the guy uh I forgot what his handle was, like 420-something. The the guy vibing to Fleetwood Mac on a skateboard with some cranberry juice, great. And then I don't need the the rest of Fleetwood Mac to then, like, jump in on the trend. You know, I was like, oh, get this off of my page. And then a commercial, yeah, and then a commercial to play during the NBA Finals, which I'm sure this guy did not get a cent for. Yeah, or I know that he's now been roped into, like, other campaigns. So now it's, like, not that fun to watch his stuff sometimes because it's, like, I I don't need Pepsi or, you know, whatever company, like, trying to to pay people to do the Dougie to get me to buy something. That's just, like, not fun for me. Well, I think you bring up an interesting point because I think, I think that that's been something that have, like, resisted for a long time that when it becomes, like, you're obviously trying to sell something to me. It, it tends to be a turnoff and and it actually brings up this other idea just to be the, the more like skeptical one. You know, I kind of TikTok to me seems and tell me if I'm wrong, I'm curious of your opinion, but TikTok to me seems to be sort of in this honeymoon phase where, you know, whether real or not, it feels that the hype and the excitement around the app has really developed in this sort of organic way. Uh, and that the sort of money ge- money generating aspects of it are still sort of, a, of of the corporate overlords that sort of own TikTok is still obscured, and so I guess uh, you know, do you see any red flags of, uh, and then perhaps we're talking about it right now, but do you see any red flags of of TikTok going the way of MySpace, Facebook, Instagram, which like recently replaced the like button or moved the like button with like a fucking shopping cart, <laughs> where like the the tinkering of the app and like this like branding exercises and like a further effort to sort of make money will eventually cause people to sort of like leave TikTok. I mean, do you already kind of see those red flags or or do you think that it has like a lasting power? I do. I do think that it has a lasting power. And I think that like end of last year was when people were contending a lot with like the, the commercialization of TikTok and like, actually having like formal celebrity influencers then go on to like do big ads. Like that's something that people were really grappling with last year. And that's where we, then we get like kind of splintering into into different communities. So at least for me, since I'm not that exposed to like the, the straight slash mainstream side of TikTok anymore. And I'm now primarily getting Frankfurt school and indie music memes. Like that's not, it's, it doesn't interfere with my user experience that much. So I think that's kind of how TikTok has like, like that's, I think that's why I'm not, I don't imagine like a mass exodus of people who are like very irritated with the branding stuff. Um, and I think 
also like a lot of the commercial activity on TikTok seems to be related to like old old celebrities like Iggy Azalea trying to like revive their careers or like you know like which is which has been effective because people are nostalgic for Iggy Azalea. I mean, Tayo Cruz of Dynamite fame tried to do the same thing and he got bullied off the app. So do with that information what you will. Um, but there's probably a, like a, a big base of users who are like, yeah, I'm down to be like advertised, like Dua Lipa's stuff and like the weekends, whatever virtual experience. And like, that's where some of the money is other than that i don't really know anything about how tiktok operates internally um so who knows what kind of good or bad decisions they will make in the future i mean kind of building off that um and in terms of advertising because i totally agree with you right there's nothing worse than those terrible terrible advertisements when they're like just like in your face but but i also wonder and again, this kind of goes back to the importance of the algorithm here and the ways in which this is a primarily musical ecosystem or, you know, largely musical ecosystem that's controlled fairly effectively by a single company that I'm wondering, you know, to what extent are the, the kind of clumsy advertising campaigns about like who gets what kind of access to... um to pushes because it seems like the again like the major labels who have agreements with tiktok could just fairly easily shift things to increase the organic spread of their music like that seems totally easy you just get a little bit more warner brothers in your for you page and no one would notice probably i still think that like more organic success is a little bit hard to fabricate because people can detect like when that's happening one thing i will add to that though is that there are like five artists right now with like incredible brand loyalty i guess so it's like no matter what megan the stallion city girls doja cat and maybe like two other artists put out like they will always be incorporated into some kind of viral like tiktok dance trend I think something that I was trying to hint at when I wrote a piece about Doja Cat is like, um, it's not just that like labels are trying to make more money. It's also that TikTok users themselves are trying to become influencers and get their own kind of brand deals and become their own celebrities. So that sometimes results in dance trends to songs by artists who are already popular um, as opposed to, it feels like earlier on, a lot of the songs that went viral were just, you know, random things that you found on SoundCloud. Now it's like, there's so much Nicki Minaj everywhere. You know, three Megan Stead the Stallion songs will become part of dance trends. Um, there is like a lot of consistency in terms of what artists you see as a part of viral trends. And then some, you know, variability in terms of like, what new artists will, will have the like fifth trend of the week or something. Yeah, no, that that's fascinating because it also means that there's kind of this new sector of creative workers, question mark. I mean, like creative producers that are involved in the music industry, right? Like these people who are trying to make a name for themselves, trying to be famous in this music adjacent field that can also produce enormous effects 
in the music industry can make a song a hit. Yeah. Uh, just like with how, you know, with Spotify wrapped, we're all participating in a free advertising campaign for Spotify. I guess all of these creators are just participating in free advertising campaigns for Warner and TikTok and one thing that might not be directly related, but I find really dystopian is that um, the influencers who like live in the giant mansions in LA, like they don't pay rent. They just have to meet like their content quota. Um, and it like the whole house is just controlled by some sort of like corporation. And recently it was discovered that one of the houses is actually owned by a Chinese hospital. Um so all sorts of like weird financial incentive schemes happening on the influencer side, I guess. And the fact that TikTok itself has this like influencer coach training program thing. Yeah, um, they definitely help you figure out how to like leverage your your influence on the app more. I've heard of them also connecting artists to managers. Um especially, or at least I heard this like kind of earlier on when a lot of the people were going viral were kind of like just like 20 year olds uploading stuff on SoundCloud. I mean, and, th- and that, but that's to the advantage of TikTok, right? Because, because then it, you're, you're preventing uh, any kind of, well, you're, keep, you're keeping those, po- those possible influencers or, or TikTok stars like on the actual platform itself. Maybe maybe something that you know uh, other apps I like, kind of like have like failed to do, uh, but yeah, by doing that, it's 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 to the advantage of TikTok. I, I I see it. They also have the creator fund, so they're like directly paying a lot of people um, to like continue to produce content on the app. Although I think for smaller creators, some of them have suggested that once they tried to like access the creator fund um then their like view count started going down so then like ultimately they didn't really make that much money because they felt like there was some sort of tampering going on yeah so like tiktok possibly the, the it's implied that tiktok dangled the carrot so that people would become more involved but actually doesn't really want to let the let let the open the valve to let all the money out <laughs> yeah so in, instead like a lot of influencers are like they also have YouTube channels because that that seems to be where a lot of money is or like a lot of the big ones are doing Spotify podcasts, um, Spotify related podcasts. Sorry. Uh, and I don't know, like on the influencer side, like they're also trying to turn themselves into just like a full on enterprise. But but again, I'm just thinking about kind of like the industry mechanics here. Um, so when. TikTok has this creators fund that's paying out to creators. That's to the people making and appearing in the videos, not the people making the music for the videos. Yes. And that's the thing that that kind of blows my mind because it seems like, I mean, this is a, I mean, (laughs) my experience with researching TikTok is as much as I love it, the more I learn about it, the more dystopian it can sometimes feel. And so in some ways, this I feel like this is the ultimate example of a, a broader trend in the digital economy, which is that, you know, TikTok in a large part runs on music. And the assumption of TikTok seems to be, even in its internal incentive structures, that music should is an endless resource that should be basically free. Yeah, I guess. And a lot of times... Like, even though 
the TikToks might help you like pick up on certain features of a song. A lot of times like the music is just used as wallpaper. So in that sense, it really does sometimes feel like just this, um, you know, endlessly replenishable kind of resource. I mean, I, I can't help but think about the example of the, the Falling in Reverse band, which, you know, it was reported that in the end, you know, with the like bad, good girls, like bad guys song or whatever, that like in the end, TikTok distributed to their label, like a grand total of $1,500, which if we assume that like a label like Epitaph does like a 50-50 like split, then the band ended up getting like, yeah, like a little over like $700. <laughs> and then it also just tripped me out too, because like when that, when that, when that lead singer was, was asked about it, he, he, he said, he was like, yeah, it was great. I mean, our song like got, got big again, but like he was like getting no money for millions of, 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 of videos using that song. It's just, it's just wild. Yeah. That's what happened with freaking out the neighborhood, the like Mac DeMarco song, like it was uploaded by some random person and, um, became a like a viral hit without like anyone who worked on it really knowing. And then when they ultimately contacted TikTok about it, TikTok was like, Hey, you know, we can take it down because they have, you know, modified the recording in some way. And then the, the people were like, no, actually like this is great for us to get a viral hit. So we actually want to keep up the sort of illegal like recording of it so that more people uh, listen to freaking out the neighborhood. Okay, can I just ask you, like, just you know, personal opinion as someone who really follows this stuff? We can't really quantify whether or not that actually turns into sales for Mac DeMarco. I mean, we you know, without like calling the label and asking, but even then, they don't really know. And I'm just I'm curious if you think that this idea of exposure equaling, you know, actual like money or like you know, actual purchases of of albums or like you know, streams of songs. If that idea is 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 kind of false in a sense, and it it's kind of been almost perpetuated by these apps in an effort to encourage people to continue to, you know, be on them and like uh, see viralness as some sort of important currency that will like make you big, but really that's kind of like a false idea. I don't know. What, what do you think? Well. Um... Eli Ennis, like a music journalist, did some reporting on this for Water and Music, Sherry Who's like newsletter. Um, so I think there's some like data there. Um, I think for TikTok, it does actually translate because like almost the entirety of like the, you know, viral 50 or whatever on Spotify is full of TikTok songs. And like this year on like the Billboard chart, like I don't know how many songs in the top 100 were sponsored in part by some kind of TikTok trend. The thing is, is that like from day one with TikTok, it feels like no one actually thought of it as like a music platform that is like going to give you money. Like everyone has always just thought of it as a music publicity tool. So they're not really thinking about like, is TikTok paying me fairly? Well, they are, but like not that much and especially not for like smaller artists and stuff like that i mean it's not great but i think that's always the way that it's been like conceptualized it's interesting that there's such a disconnect it's interesting that there's such a disconnect between you know them seeing something as as tiktok as just a promotional tool and then like railing against spotify but i guess because it's just all a uh a, a cause by how these apps are marketed 
because like Spotify markets himself as this and, and is like, you know, this music streaming service, even though it's becoming so much more now. And so therefore people demand more money from them. But like if TikTok isn't actually marketed or like viewed that way, then all people are like less demanding of it. So it's fascinating. It seems like there's like a disconnect in, in the, uh, in the views of the approach there. Yeah, definitely. I wonder if that also has to do with the fact that like success is so unpredictable on TikTok, whereas on Spotify, you can kind of, you, you can say like, Hey, I have, you know, 50,000 listeners every month. And so I, I have this expectation of a certain amount rather than just, you know, not knowing whether it'll be like, you'll wake up with a hundred thousand videos or like three. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's also interesting to me because it kind of creates a certain like value around, yeah, it creates a certain value around virality that also spills into what you said earlier which which in referencing some of the users on tiktok who are just like trying to have fun and like have a good time with it because i don't know when i flip through tiktok sometimes i I actually feel it's it's quite dark and i and and i always ask you know what is this taking away from us or what kind what is like the filling the void of and you know maybe it's my age or something but i i feel like all these people are performing for my eyes for strangers for free and because why because it, it like it because if it goes viral, it adds a certain level of value to or currency to like what they're doing opposed to if they were just doing it like amongst like their high school friends, like, you know, on the blacktop or something. It's just really interesting. And I'm just curious of like that idea of it using it as a promotional platform and, you know, oh, if you go viral, like that adds value and how that just spills into like sort of the average user who's just like trying to have some fun on it. Yeah, it is really like uncomfortable to look at someone's video and to be like oh I know that you used a ring light and that you bought all sorts of equipment and you filmed this take like 10 times just to get like the perfect product for me um however a lot of videos that I'm seeing sometimes I have like you know 500 likes or something like that they're not that polished it is just about like like making memes or making jokes so it's kind of just like you have someone on Twitter who loves to shit post and is like moderately famous for it. Like they're not, you don't necessarily feel like they're like calibrating their performance that hard, I guess. Yeah. That's, um, that's a great point. Yeah. That's a great so that, point. And I mean, I guess this is just sort of the world we live in where we just have to use these privately owned corporate apps as a way to socially engage. Oh, uh, that's so bleak, but yeah, everything now, self-branding exercise. Well, thank you so much. Um, again, we've had the pleasure of having uh, Kat Zhang, who is Pitchfork's TikTok expert, uh, among many other things, a uh, fantastic record reviewer. Um, I encourage you to check out her writings on the interwebs. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm.